Follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. This is Shad here with Matt and Brad. Guys, how are you doing? Uh, doing good, Shad. I'm doing well. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. And everybody out there, thank you for listening with this episode with us. We appreciate you being here, being a part of this with us, whether you're listening right when it drops or if it's later on, doesn't matter. We're just glad you're here with us. What the heck are we doing, guys? So this is we've done tournaments before. It's been a really long time, though. But so we're doing I we're kind of doing a more specialized version of the goat. So we are doing the 1980s goat. Now, tournament. just 80s or is it a special kind of thing in the 80s? It had they had to have been active in the 80s and had some of their best work in the 80s. So. Just Hogan all the time, then? Is that what we're hearing? No, I'm kind of basing this on the total package of in-ring and, like, what would be kind of online conversations about them. So, Hogan... I left Hogan off just because I don't think Hogan would get very far. Okay, so this has much more of an in-ring slant than than just best in the 80s conversation would be, right? Yep. Okay. And, like, so the, the selections, too, it's not like... Oh, you know, this guy was really like, oh, I'll use Ernie Ladd as like an example, like or even Dusty. Like, oh, this guy was really great in the 70s. But, you know, by 1984, they were winding it down. OK. okay. All right. So the, the yeah. heyday has to have been like the 80s. So like, you know, your flares and stuff like that. OK. I just wanted to make sure we were clear on the rules so that we didn't have folks at home going, why aren't they talking about that? You know? Not that you all aren't paying attention or don't care or don't listen, just wanting to make sure it's clear from the get-go. Yep. So we're going to go to our first match uh, of the tournament. So this is going to be uh, Ric Flair versus Bobby Eaton. Oh. Oh, right in the feels, Brad. There's going to be some tough ones. Oh, God. This is tough. Because it's how you really it's tough because how you want to look at it, mm-hmm. because if you're if you're looking at it just on star power. Yeah. And who many people put, you know, on their Mount Rushmore of of workers, despite all the, the you know, the recent stuff that has come out about him that is not so, not a surprise. Fortunately, colored. Uh, yeah. A lot of, yeah. It's called my view, honestly. But people would say like, oh, this is easy flair. But. If you're approaching it from the perspective of like in ring, in actual competency as a as a, a wrestler, a worker, like this mm-hmm. is actually a really tough match because. Yeah. Now my my de facto defense of Ric Flair 
And we did it on a show that was like pre Four Corners. And Matt knows the one I'm going to talk about for Flair. Mm-hmm. But that world class like TV like draw with like Al Madrill that's like ten minutes. Mm-hmm. And Al Madrill's just this like local guy that did Portland and Texas, and he's just like a mid card like forgotten by history guy. And Flair and him have this like phenomenal like ten minute TV match. Mm-hmm. And that's like that's like kind of like the Flair experience. Right. Flair could go out there and have like a banger match that even in even today's like overrating everything he could probably have like a three three plus match with like perennial like jim crockett like nwa jobber like rocky king like he just go out there he used to get in trouble because he would go long with george south yeah and i think he worked mike jackson long one time Mm mm-hmm yeah, he'd go in there with with jobbers, but and it, it's was he the first guy that the proverbial like he could you know, carry take, a broomstick? He, yeah, carry a broomstick. Yeah. I and, think it was. And we did it on the show too, but like, so there's a couple of flare ones from the '80s. So remember the Ronnie Garvin TV match where they're just stiffing the crap out of each other the whole time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, that match is awesome. The Sting Clash of the Champions match oh, is just like so Chef's Kiss, mm-hmm. and we haven't even done like the um oh is it the is it a clash or the one where the I Quit match with Terry Funk in '89, where like yeah, the second a... half of the match is just him destroying <clears throat> Funk's leg. It, Flair in '89, it really WCW '89, like we we did like we did. We basically did like some of '91 through '92 because of the, doing the whole Dangerous Alliance saga. But we should almost like just dedicate to like either Flair '1989 or WCW in general '89 because it was like a, literally like a, a a banner year, like a career year for Flair and promotion year for 1989. It was clicking on all cylinders. It was awesome. The whole the Flair Steamboat series. Mm-hmm. is they're all Meltzer I think gave them all five stars and again take things with Meltzer does with a grain of salt because at the end of the day it's one guy's opinion yeah but it's tough I think those three matches I think he gave them all five stars there's is apocryphal there is like a, a, a fourth one which he uses to say like oh I, it was because when he broke his own rating system and gave started giving like New Japan stuff more than five stars, or Will Osprey stuff more than five stars, mm-hmm. or Mega stuff more than five stars. He's like, well, actually, like back in eighty, it never was supposed to go to five stars exactly. And back in eighty nine, I gave Flair this Flair Steamboat match from I think it was like somewhere in Maryland, like Baltimore or something. He gave it six stars, which allegedly I think there is footage of that, like a fan cam. Mm. So. If we decide to do that, maybe I can track that down. But that that those matches alone are like amazing. They probably are deserving of five stars. I haven't seen them in a long, long time. Oh, the Barry Windham matches in '87. <laughs> oh, okay. Barry Windham for a time was one of the best workers on the planet, like legit for there's, anyone. There's, I think it's worldwide where they go like an hour, and it's like Barry Windham showing up in the company. Like it's just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're go dig- ahead, man. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, but on contrast, Eaton 
was so good. Like part of a, a million tag teams mm-hmm. between like NWA, Jim Crockett, WCW. And there's people that say, I mean, it's not the first one that comes to mind, but a lot of people say his best tag team was with Coco Ware as Sweet Brown Sugar in Memphis. We've, I feel like we on the show have barely seen any of that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I I have not seen hardly anything of that tag or of that particular team. We did see him wrestle Bill Dundee though, which was really yeah. good. So if I just just to play devil's advocate for a second and and understand that this is me for the sake of argument mounting uh mounting a something here up against Flair for for discussion's sake. To pick on Ric Flair, the idea that Flair consistently worked a very specific style of match very well, but a very specific style of match, I think, could be a valid criticism because Bobby Eaton worked different ways all the time, and it is a... Um, it is okay. A flare match. If we want to boil it down to just its components and holistically, the sum is more than the soul of its, than the sum of its parts, but it's, it's chops, it's big bumps and it's legwork. Whereas Bobby Eaton did a lot, a Mm -hmm. lot of different stuff. I don't understand how Bobby Eaton could still walk doing the Alabama jam as long as he did. Um, but there was a lot more variety there, and variety is something that I personally have a preference towards. I don't like seeing, you know, this. I don't like seeing the same move spam all the time. So, you know, to give to get to give Bobby a fighting chance here, I'm gonna say, well, let's let's consider the. Uh, I, you know, I, let's consider the variety of work style. I will say one of my favorite parts of watching um, World Championship Wrestling from the mid '80s is just watching him and Dennis Condry murder jobbers. Because <laughs> I think Cornette said on his show, like there was one point where they just were going to see how many different ways they could finish jobbers every week, and it took them a really long time to stop, like coming up with new ideas. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> like if you watch some of that stuff, like they murder some of those guys. Like absolutely. Oh yeah. Absolutely murder them. They like, they murdered them in ways that the Steiners would be like, oh, like they would be damn. like sitting with their notebooks, like taking, yeah. <laughs> taking notes, like, oh, that's a good idea. Wait, wait, scribble to, it down. Matt, if we're gonna if we're gonna stick to the premise there, are they sitting there having somebody else with a notebook open asking no, right stuff down for Scott, them? Scott Steiner's got a chalkboard. He's like, okay, well that's two and three fourths, like. <laughs> I know. I'm just going off that, that Kevin Nash joke. We got such a big and, kick. Yeah. And it, I'm going to cheat and go to the 90s real quick, though. But I love when they did the Blue Bloods and they did those vignettes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. St- and Steven Regal takes him to, like, the restaurant and the waiter's like, would you like me to throw this man out? <laughs> it, it's it's a. Um, it, yes, I, I am. It's 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 pushing a boulder uphill t- 
to to argue against Flair on this one, but it's Bobby Eaton, so I have to try, you know. I I have to go with Flair, but like Eaton 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 just being in this group is like I think speaks volumes to his greatness. I I really I really want to find a way to press Eaton forward more, but I don't have a good way of arguing it. <laughs> so we're gonna go Flair on this. I what would say think, Flair. Matt? I would say Flair. Uh, my choice would be Flair, but Eaton is was fantastic for yeah. so long, and and there's so many stories of people that work with him that have nothing but good things to say about him, not just like personality wise, because he was from everything we said, and we talked about this when he passed away. That mm-hmm. people just had glowing reviews. It's the whole story, which we've talked about. I think you guys told where Dundee when Dundee found out that his his daughter who eventually married Eaton was dating him. He begrudgingly was like, oh, okay, well you pick like the, the good he was, one. He was yeah. threatening to kill him. He's like, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. Who is it? Who is it? It's like, it's Bobby. Eaton. He, and it's like, he just stops dead in his track. He's like, well, you picked the right one. And like started yeah. eating his dinner again. Yeah. And, and I've never heard in this business where it seems like everyone there is just, is, he's a sex is a sex pest or has been okay with that happening in the past. Is um, he the one that had the weak stomach that they would like try to get to puke all the time? Is like, a yeah, rib? yeah, yeah. Um, he, he was, but he's a guy. It's like, he's, we talked, and, and this is a weird comparison, but we talked before, like people love to work with like Kamala, Kimbala, Kamala. Uh, because he was like, what was his nickname? Like easy money or something like that. Cause they could just go, yeah, they could go out there and have like a, and he was actually really graceful, and they could have like a uh, a good match. And he had they a did. light touch. Yeah, he had a light touch. They didn't have to like kill themselves, but he was also so big and impressive that they could sell for him, not crazily, but it was an easy night because they didn't have to bang themselves up too much, and that they drew well. Uh, they said that about Kamala. Like I've heard lots of stories about Bobby Eaton, where it's like just his his craftsmanship, for lack of a better way to put it, as a worker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like people were just in awe of like the things that he could do and like how smooth he was and how he would feed and he could bump and everything. He was, so uh... if, if this if Eden was against most anyone else, like I would probably have given it to Eden. But against Flair, like Flair was on another level. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's it's he was uh Okay, I'm gonna make the I'm gonna make the dumb joke that I make whenever someone says smooth, but he was just like the ocean under the moon. Um, throwback to Carlos Santana and Rob Thomas song oh of the boy. year, 24 years running. I love that song. I'm sorry. I make that joke all the time. I can't help myself. It's reflex at this point, so but yeah, flair, flair. Okay. So the yeah, next one, none of these get easy, by the way, there's maybe one or two that <laughs> are going to be easy. So the next one is Nick Bockwinkle versus Kurt Henning. Hmm. So I, I, I've probably seen the most Nick Bockwinkle of anyone here. And um, the, there's pe- there are people that talk about how they prefer Nick Bockwinkle <laughs> as like a world champion to Ric Flair. And I don't think I agree with them, but I totally can see why they think they like Nick Bockwinkle better. Like, he's such a great promo. I like him with Bobby Eaton. I mean, Bobby Heenan. Um, he's like so great in the ring and like there are points where he's like 50 years old and he's just like running these young men into the ground because he's such a freak of nature. Mm-hmm. 
Kind of like what Flair used to be. Yeah. Just a cardiovascular freak. Um, and there's like a match from like 92 in UWFI, and it's like he's like 60 years old, and he's wrestling like old-ass Billy Robinson, and they're having this like awesome like mat work match. Mm-hmm. Because they, you know, they still know how to do all of it, and they're both freaks. So, yeah, I mean, I would probably – I love Kurt Henning, but, I mean, Bockwinkle is, like, up there. And I think he was even on my Mount Rushmore when we did that episode. So I'm going to take Bockwinkle for this. Uh, I want to see what Shad says, but I will say I, I haven't seen enough Bockwinkle to really fairly put it, but I have seen more Henning and I'm going to give it to Henning just because partly I've seen more, but I also think Henning was a great worker and he was almost something of a, almost like a wonderkin, like from a very like young age. I mean, he was also second generation, but he, mm-hmm. he was so good. Um, it, in a way, and he was champion in the AWA, but it's also, the the era of the time like he he had success and became you know a name and memorable a legend in the wwe and Mm -hmm. obviously he went later later to wcw but if if it was like his time now like if he was like modern era like this is a guy who probably would have like excelled in a place like aew yeah or even new japan and done really well for himself bakukula i haven't seen enough of but what i have seen like he's I, take that thing away. He was an excellent worker, um, and there are things that there are enough. I've seen enough of him that he does have like the charisma that he could have clearly held himself up uh, as like a main event heel type. Uh, Flair. I don't know. If Flair aped a lot of his style, or was kind of just doing. They were similar enough. I do feel. Bachwinkle really didn't come into his own until way late. Like in his 40s mm. like he was a, like he was a late bloomer and kind of like that he's like i mean like Vern gave himself the awa world title a lot but mm-hmm. it really was at its most prestigious and like valuable when bockwinkle was champion and traveling around and like that, making it matter that is what i was gonna go into like i've seen a, enough of bockwinkle i haven't seen a lot so i again i would rate handing over him but what i have seen he did add almost like a gravitas to it that it made it seem the title seemed really important and the guy who i think was was really trying to emulate his style was nick aldis when oh, he was doing yeah, yeah. nwa like he was clearly like doing like a even the way he held the belt was very <laughs> nick Bob yeah and, and he made he, he would dress he would do the old thing that other companies include the wwe have done for a time where it's like if you have the title like you need to go out there and dress like a, in a suit you're going to come out there in, like, your, you know, overalls or something and look like a slob. And Nick Aldis was doing that. Like, he's going to come out in a, in a nice suit. He's going to talk about the title, like, you know, 10 pounds of gold, sweet shot. It's like the, mm-hmm. it's like the best thing in the world. Like, you care about this more than life itself. Like, you eat, sleep, and breathe this belt. Like, he really made that. And I think that's something that um that he probably got a lot from. Bachwinkle, because that's something that I I've seen Bachwinkle do that I almost like attributed to him. I don't know if that was something that he really like uh, made almost like a trope, but it did seem like he really that was really like his style as, as champion, which I think added to it. It really because again we we obviously we know it's fake. It's suspending disbelief, 
but if the whole thing is trying to suspend disbelief and make it seem like it's a real air quote combat sport then the title should be actually like a prize title like like boxing back in the day mm-hmm. right like it's it's prize it's, it's something that everyone is, subscribes to so you shouldn't be like yeah whatever this title it's not just a prop as a uh, you know vince russo said famously back in the day it should mean something and bach people did that so you're the, you're the tiebreaker shad i know um and it is as brad said we're we're already to the point of splitting hairs here mm-hmm. Um, this is, there are no easy, the first one, Brad was the first one, kind of like the biggest gap. And now we're getting closer and closer as we go. No, um, there's one, there's there, I I have an idea of who, who I'm picking on one, but there's one that we're not, it's going to be unanimous and we won't even think about it. Okay. But so not, not the easiest choice for the beginning, but also further down on the scale. There's going to be some real butt clinchers on this and like the okay. next the next one i know what we're gonna pick but we're gonna be really pissy about it so <laughs> no you're gonna be real pissy about All the right. next so one. so i'm getting ready to go into my trademark hedging so give me a minute okay um we are going to be splitting hairs for a lot of these and it's going to be a difficult choice and preference and so this is going to be that just saying it right now this is going to be hard and as I have also said in the past, there's a lot of older stuff that I have intentionally not watched because I wanted it to be fresh when Brad was like, hey, we're going to do this next week. And so I can watch it with fresh eyes. Yeah, and like, Bachwinkle is waiting in the wings at some point because I think he he's just not one I've gotten to. And I really want to like – because the, the problem with doing Bachwinkle is if we're going to do Bachwinkle for the show – like, I really got to dig up a lot of promos. And mm-hmm. that's hard to review when you throw, like, promos in there. Yeah. So, and here's the other thing. That this is a, this is a personal preference uh, for my, in, in workers in general. Part of the measuring stick for how highly I regard a worker is... How good of a seller this person is. Can, does this per as you said, Matt, we're watching this. Obviously, we're enjoying it, but we want to be able to suspend disbelief. So how well does this person sell? For me, it was a point of pride that I thought that I sold well. I don't know. Maybe I sold like crap, but I thought I sold well. And Kurt Henning is one of the if you say who's who's one of the best sellers, one of the best bumpers that you can think of, Kurt Henning is right up there at the top. For me, it's Kurt Henning and oddly enough, Nick Nemeth are just such good sellers that I watch a match and I am more impressed by their selling than I am by a bunch of other stuff. I, and I, so I will throw one in there with them that I think is probably the best seller is Ricky Morton. Ricky Morton is yes that you've you've hit my my top three there. Oh Eddie is, Kingston. Eddie Kingston is a very sympathetic seller. Mm-hmm. Eddie Kingston is great. I love Eddie. The thing that that is that stands out to me for Eddie Kingston is it's more the whole package than it is 
the selling being so like outstandingly remarkable. Ricky Morton, Kurt Henning, and Nick Nemeth for me and are I like think when we watched um, Oh was it a here Akira Hokuto we like really commented we thought her selling was really good against like Bull Nakano. I I cannot remember. There's there was um, a juicy worker where we were talking that like her up and about how good her selling was. I I gotta be honest with you, man. I can't remember. I've been hitting the head too much. Um, but for me, like the the you you we just nailed my top three sellers. Like you say, who who's one of the best bumpers, best sellers in the business? Those three right there, Morton, Henning, and Nemeth. And so I. It is it is a personal preference and proclivity, yes. But for me, I held Kurt Henning's in-ring work in very, very high esteem because of how good he was at that. And in doing it, you, you also get a measure of how unselfish that kind of person is in the ring. Because if they, if they just dog their selling, it makes you look like shit. And... He, you know, that's not something you, you typically saw out of Kurt Henning. He still sold well, no matter who it was. You know, he was a professional about it. And so I am not going to say, you know, we're back to that splitting hairs and me hedging again. I'm going to say I don't know enough Bachwinkle to give him his credit. But I know enough Kurt Henning to know that he is an all-timer in one aspect of the business for me. So there's my vote for Henning. I wanted to throw one, a couple of things about him from um, the show, but they're from the 90s, so it's cheating a bit. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, going into his selling, like the the whole series of matches with Doink the Clown. Yeah. Where they were like oh, systematically yeah. like attacking like each other's like to get, you know, for like his finisher. Mm-hmm. Like where, where um, he was attacking the leg that he was gonna grapevine, but then at the same time, Doink was attacking his arm to keep him from doing it. Yeah. And um, the way they kind of progressed through those series of matches, but also, and I mean, you guys might not remember this, but when we did Nitro 100, that match he had with Mortis hmm. was really you know... like a good little sprint of a match. Oh man, I'd have to go back and watch that again. I, I remember it was there, but I don't remember much about it right now. And so again, going to that, like he had a really good match with Mongo. Uh huh. And he had a really, really good match with Mongo. And he gave the Henning Plex to the Giant, which yeah was pretty awesome. But I mean, and um, but his. Mr. Hughes match was not good, but I don't blame him for that. No, I don't, I don't, I don't put any of that on him. Um, if there was anywhere that, that you were going to dog it and I wouldn't give you a hard time for it, that's where it would be. So, okay. Kurt Henning is going to take that one and go on to the next round. Now the next one is going to be the one we're going to be bitchy about. So the next one is Randy Savage versus Ricky Morton. Shit. So this one's really tough because, because the first thing people think when they think about Ricky Morton is his selling. But let me tell you, when you want to talk about guys that can talk, like Ricky Morton can talk. Ricky Morton can talk. I mean, he was the promo guy for the Rock and Roll Express. Yeah. And um, 
and you gotta give it to a guy that like like he was like 75 percent of that team and he also has my favorite like moment of the of the 80s which is so they're on tv and he was feuding with flair at the time and this is this is what wwe misses about faces so flair is teased him and he pulls out a bra and Flair is like, you like the little, like, teeny girls? Like, I like the big girls. And Flair, and Morton's just standing there, and he puts the bra, like, on Morton's head. And Morton just takes his glasses off his face and drops them on the floor and steps on them right in front of Flair. And they just start, well, I think Flair, like, smacks him, and Morton just clocks him. You, yeah, you cannot emasculate a baby face and have them still be over. That yeah. doesn't work. But he's so um, he's so good. Like I mean, even like when we did the the Dangerous Alliance stuff, like I always looked forward to the Ricky Morton matches, even if it was some nothing. Like he was wrestling some bag of crap because he would always do something good. What was it? What was that one we were grumbling about that he was it the one that he was out there against the Freebirds and we're like, oh god, it's it's Garvin yeah. again. Hmm. Um, or was it the one that was like the, the Patriots? I can't remember which one we were complaining one, about. There was one, wasn't uh, it? Not the Patriots. You mean like the Firebreaker ship and. No, they were the Patriots. Yeah, that, that was the, the Patriots. Patri- yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't. Firebreaker ship and, and what's his, what's his nuts? Um, Firecracker skip or something. No, it was a completely different gimmick. It, oh God, now I gotta look like, it up. One was like a firefighter, and one was like a military guy, wasn't he? Uh, hang on a second, cause I have to look. I cannot not look at this point. I remember this stupid but, gimmick from sir, in my but, childhood. But the problem oh, is, Todd Champion. Oh yeah, oh yeah, Todd. Okay. This is what is. this is how he ends up after Rick Ricky gave him a CTE from that clothesline. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> well, I think and I would. So Ricky Morton would be world class elite level talent to me. But the problem is Randy Savage is Randy Savage. Like Randy Savage has um, an argument to be like the goat of all time. Like even to he has my favorite episode of. Space Ghost. Space Coast Ghost. Coast. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say he has my favorite episode of Dexter's Lab. Oh, you're right. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's Randy Savage, man. What, how am I going to argue against a guy who, his family had so much in the way of balls that they started an, uh, an outlaw promotion to run against Memphis in Kentucky and did well, you know? You, you know, uh, and you're talking about the guy that rolled up on Bill Dundee in a parking lot and Dundee pulled a gun on him and he took the gun from a pistol with him. I mean, yeah, you could have pulled a gun on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to make your head cream. Yeah, um, <laughs> it, it, it so yes. you look at it, Elizabeth. <laughs> Wait, wait, hang on. We got to put the other thing in here. Randy Savage is is the biggest part of the best Left for Dead mod that ever took place. Because there was a mod for Left for Dead that replaced all of the the zombie lines with Randy Savage quotes. Oh no, you're forgetting you're forgetting the best Randy Savage mod. Can you guess it? Wait, hang on. You're talking about this. 
I know which one you're talking about. The Skyrim but... mod where the initial yeah. dragon and like you're getting about to be executed just here. Ooh yeah. 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 In the Left for Dead mod, when when you you know you go to do the finale, and there's that big zombie scream right before the finale starts. And what they did is they replaced it with Bone Saw is ready, and here they come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You stay away from Elizabeth. And it's just, and you know, it's Randy Savage. I mean, is was that? What good, else can we say? Was that Good Morning America that he was on? Where they're like, oh, do you like cooking? He's like, I'm hell on wheels in the kitchen. Yes, yes, I'm hell in the kitchen, bro. I remember watching that live. I snuck and watched it because my mom didn't like wrestling, but I already, we're making saddlebag chili. And, yeah. And again, I keep I keep referencing <laughs> I keep referencing um, 90s stuff, but people forget like that WCW before the NWO was already getting hot because Randy Savage and Ric Flair had like reignited the house show business with their feud. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm sorry, Ricky. I love you, but and it, again, nineties, but five star match with the Warrior. Yeah, and it's awesome. Yeah, hey, this was a guy who could take a match where, like his debut WWF match, he just frankly was working with someone that didn't give him a lot to do, but he made it engaging. You know, he just sneaking up on the guy. This is the guy that made the title of Village People song a cool nickname. Okay. Like, this is Randy Savage here. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we're in agreement Randy takes it. Yes. He does, but this is also, uh, again, if if you, Brad, if you, if you really wanted to make this one tough, you could have done, like, Flair Savage. Eaton, oh, whatever. God. That would have been, I would probably have been pulling some hair out there trying to, that's yeah. that's like the difficult choice meme times two. Oh and yeah. Oh, I you know I missed the obvious inv- implication of this matchup that we need to discuss. So I think it was 1984, him pile driving Ricky Morton through a, ch- a table in Memphis. Mm. And not, oh wow. And like it wasn't like the tables now; it was like a table. It's a Japanese table. Yeah, but it was like Honor 84. Table. And, it, and like it was through the table not like yeah not like the the funk flare one yeah i know i'm i'm just having fun making a botchamania reference that's we all should do that match though that that's a good match <laughs> there's there's just so much good stuff out there and it's hard because it, good stuff keeps getting and, added to and the one the, the saddest thing ever though and it's gonna make me forever sad is supposedly like in the late 70s and early 80s supposedly like Savage and Eaton had these like awesome matches that were never on tape. Oh, Oh, okay. Okay. You know, that's, that's going to be one of those. I get to heaven. It's going to be like, I'm so happy to see everybody and say my hellos. And that's going to be like, Hey, uh, y'all got to Y'all got the tape library anywhere around yeah. here. Oh, and I forgot to mention it. Cause it is from the eighties. So there's an ICW match that we should do for the show, but it's him and like his name is Crusher Broomfield at the time, but it's essentially like one man gang that they had like plucked off the street and he was like fresh out of training and Savage like mm-hmm. gets this really great TV match out of him. Wow. You know, he had to 
he had to be talented to get a name Crusher Broomfield over, you know? Yeah. So, okay, so we're going to move Savage. <sighs> okay, the next one is probably the biggest golf for me. Okay. So this is Terry Funk versus Dynamite Kid. And, like, for me, like, Terry Funk is, like, Terry Funk is probably, you could argue, for me, like, if you were to ask me who's the greatest of all time, like, North America, <laughs> it would be, well, it's either Ric Flair, Terry Funk, or Jerry Lawler would be my, would be my picks for that. So, like, I, I'm going to do Terry Funk for this because Terry Funk is, Terry Funk is the perfect wrestler. Terry Funk was, like, a good like he's a good like technical baby face when he wants to be but he's also like this crazy old man like hardcore brawler a guy that like reinvented himself a couple times and like honestly because it is the 80s like that heel turn on flair where like flair wins the title and funk's just like oh golly gee like i'm glad you won could i have a title shot and flair says no and then he just flips out and pile drives him on a table it's like so good Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm giving Matt his opening here. <laughs> Which Terry should I do? I don't know. Take your pick. You're a fucking coward, I, I, Tommy. You're a fucking you're a coward, Tommy. Why do right. you pick me? Why do you pick me your tag partner, Tommy? Because you're a goddamn coward. <laughs> I need to rewatch that to get the. I feel like I, I forgot get his the, exact like. Uh, verbiage and terminology yeah get the cadence right for it mm-hmm. uh, okay so to give to give dynamite his flowers real quick dynamite was one of the guys that i think you can say pioneered the modern era of of the modern style and i i i don't feel like that's off base um no him and tiger mask were like a huge influence i think you can i think you can even like because we're going to eventually do a WCW cruiserweight um, bio. Mm. But I think I think if you really wanted to do like a, we're going to do the history like leading up to the cruiserweights, like you would have to talk about yeah. Dynamite you, you, Kid and Tiger Mask. I had um, I had a friend in uh, from Great Britain who his whole thing. Was it Jab? No, it was not. <laughs> Um, unfortunately he said, he messages me one day and I'm like, what's going on, dude? He goes, this was, this was, Oh God, 22 years ago. I'm like, what's going on, dude? He goes, I've got a problem. I said, what? He goes, I can't find any more dynamite kid tiger mask matches and I need more. And I was like, is there like a group for that? Or what are we? (laughs) Yes. That, that is, that is the, the, touchstone for the modern era that is uh, if you if you want to tr- trace back a lot of of modern wrestling style you go you go to him but dynamite is there's a few reasons dynamite's not going to win for me and one of them has to do with the fact that you know he was a miserable prick who would abuse people in the ring low-key can go to hell there i got my obligatory one in and, you know, the fact that he also destroyed himself in the process to do it. It's like, man, you're going up against Terry Funk. You're going up against, as as Brad said, this guy who 
reinvented himself, did not do the same thing for years. And yes, Flair and Lawler are or were incredible. You know, like there is a reason that they are heralded as such a big deal. They did not change the way that Terry did. They did not alter their style. They did not adapt in the way that Terry Funk did. So therefore, I think that Eddie Kingston's right. Uh, you know, texting Shivani uh, about it. Yes, uh, Funk's Funk's going to win this by a mile for me. Uh, Dynamite was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like he to go to go to like the the dynamite tiger mask matches. Those are matches that were like from what the eighties. They they are now I think forty year old matches. Like they're certainly mm-hmm. like thirty five plus year old matches. And yet if you if you were to watch those today and stack them up to just modern wrestling, it's like it would fit right in. Like mm-hmm. you would they would still be they'd still be great matches too. They could easily compare to some of the best stuff today, which it's like imagine how like mind blowing that is that uh, matches that are 35 plus uh, years in the past, 40 years almost in the past, are that good and are with that I guess ahead of their time. But that said, like Funk, Funk is like Flair, like he's on another level. Like he could talk, he had amazing charisma, and his in ring was phenomenal. And he is a guy who, like, like the the true greatest, the two greats of the business, constantly reinvented himself or added stuff. You know, I feel I feel like Dave Meltzer talked not that long ago because obviously Funk passed away recently. Meltzer talked about how like when Funk was I think like in his fifties, it's like all right, I'm gonna start learning like moon salt and like <laughs> changing his style to keep relevant to like the day and it's like yeah that's that's why this guy was like he became he had a whole nother like life air quote like career as the hardcore legend etc in the 90s into like the early aughts doing all that when he this this is a time when it's like you should have just like enjoyed real retirement yeah but he didn't like yes, he loved the business so much and he changed his style and he became relevant. And that's why many people consider him the greatest, one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time. I So funk. Yeah. Punk easily for me. Okay. So are we ready for the next round? Mm-hmm. Okay. So Ooh, it yeah, doesn't get yeah. any better after this. So this is <laughs> Ricky Steamboat versus Terry Gordy. Oh, Okay. So let's start with Terry Gordy, because I'm going to probably vote for Ricky Steamboat. But we've we've watched a fair amount of Terry Gordy on this show now. And, you know, when I my first exposure to Terry Gordy was like post stroke, like broken down Gordy or the really misused um, WCW Miracle Violence Connection Gordy. Mm -hmm. And so through the show, we've seen a good bit of him from like 79 to 84 now. Mm-hmm. And man, it's just stupid how good he is. He was so good straight away, 
like what what was that that one clip you sent us and you're like he's 19 here oh him and michael hayes versus um lawler and dundee on like memphis tv mm-hmm. and it's it's he just straight up looks like he belongs right it's man and he's like and like even um that van promo we watched a couple weeks ago against killer con like i love that promo (laughs) and you don't even think of him as like a talker but even like there was some georgia match we watched with him in it that was really good um Mm -hmm. well there's something else we watched with him in it yeah The van promo was fun. It was. If I want, if I want to hit my van, I can't. If I want to spit out my shoe, it's like he's so manic. But it was, it was. But he got was a, interesting. But he got a story over though because he was talking about how like, you know, um, Killer Khan taught him the Oriental spike and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, he was good. I again pairing him with some. If this was like. Let's say Gordy versus Henning. I'd be like, hmm, I'd be big scratching my chin. I'd be like, mm-hmm. uh, like that's a tough one. Like, I, I personally love Ricky Steamboat. Mm-hmm. He's what a, he's probably one of my favorite baby faces of all time, and is a guy who was so good. And even when like that that brief comeback he did which at this point was so many years ago, but the brief comeback he did where he was having like the matches with uh, Jericho. 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 Yeah. Like he was just, he looked so good and smooth then. And he was like, what? Still, 60. And he still skinned the cat. Yeah. yeah. Like he was so good. Like, unless I, hey, he's underrated in my opinion. Like he, sh- he should be considered more than he is, but I guess because like for a long time, he wasn't, like the, the very top a very top star because of whatever but he was so good i and, i i choose steamboat but. and i yeah i'm gonna choose steamboat but also i i really i want to give steamboat something here is i already thought steamboat was awesome and then we watched the final conflict stuff and i'm like holy <laughs> shit like this is like awesome and you know i already thought steamboat was amazing and this is like even better yeah well, what was the? It was in the Dangerous Alliance sprint that we had. That was it. That that or was it? Was it Matt's favorite where he was Sting's mystery partner? That they're oh, the same thing, aren't Art they? Anderson's like, oh god, it's Ricky Steamboat. <laughs> no, that, that was the one of the clashes where he was the mystery partner for Dustin Rhodes, and okay, and they won the tag titles. Off, okay, uh, I believe it was Anderson and Sabisco. Yeah, and, and that was the infamous line where it's like like steamboat is just like like cleans house and arn anderson like bails to the outside and like the camera like zooms in on him and he's like he's just a man he's just a man like psyching himself up mm-hmm. it's like he cannot believe that one it's steamboat and two that it's like they're just getting rolled so easily by the guy and he's like he's trying to psych himself up he's like he's just a man and it's like if you think about that like that's such a that's so like so good it's so good but it's so like holy shit this guy is like scare shitless actually because it's like he's trying to 
tell himself that it's like this is not like a god among men. This is not this is not a literal <laughs> dragon oh. facing me. I, this I'm, is this I'm just a not, guy. Like I can beat him. I can beat I'm him not a fighting guy. a myth. Yeah, I remember yeah. too. Remember, um, we did it on the show too because Shad was like really disgruntled until it happened. But remember when he was Eddie Gilbert's mystery partner and Flair's like screaming at him like you don't work here. <clears throat> I I loved because that that match where he teamed with Dustin, he came in hot. There was one of the I the my favorite Ricky Steamboat is when Ricky comes in hot and starts going to town because he was so crisp and so smooth at it. Like the 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 Iron Man that he did with uh, Rick Root was really really good. But that's not my favorite Ricky Steamboat. My favorite Ricky Steamboat is when he is fired up and beaten ass. And mm. that right there is those those two cases are when Ricky goes out there and he's just destroying, you know, he's fired up and he's hitting hard and he's doing all this. And it's just it's I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to misuse a term here, but it's damn near immaculate in in how good it is. And one other thing, I know that it was a stylistic choice that he wanted to make, but it is a stylistic choice that aggravates me for personal reasons, is that he was not he he isn't overly relying on using arm drags in those cases either. Oh, I thought you were gonna talk about how he let his wife henpeck him into like doing the family man gimmick when that was getting him booed in like 89. I'm not, look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to dog on him for stuff in his personal life. That's I'm just, I'm not going to do that, but God, I am sick to death of arm drags. You know, it's the number of arm drags that I've, I had to deal with just made me outright sick. Of. And I mean, so he also has a savage match at WrestleMania three, which at the mm-hmm. time and for a long time was the best WWF match. But I will say it's probably in my top 10 wrestling matches of all time. The clash six, two out of three falls match with Ric Flair is just maybe the perfect match. It has been so long since I've watched that, that I, I would have to see it again to give it an accurate response i watched it last time i did an 89 watch through which has been like seven years ago i think i i um i watched that and it was i actually liked it better that time okay so we're putting steamboat in there oh yes yes there's there's no i mean we gave dynamite his kudos and then we were kind of done so this next one, this next one, you're going to get really pissed off at. And I'm going to pick mine on a technicality when it comes up. So this is uh, Stan Hansen versus Sergeant Slaughter. Damn it. OK, so uh. now now I'm going to just say what I'm doing first. I'm picking Sergeant Slaughter on the caveat that I am basing this entirely on 80s work. And I think Hansen's best work was in the 90s. Hmm. So but now I will give Hanson though, because it's probably it's probably this the the poster child match for this podcast though is the the Stan Hansen and Andre the Giant match is like amazing. Like we just we actually just 
melted other Brad's brain with that match. We did. Oh, yes, we did. <laughs> and he, oh. we, we warned him and other, he did not believe us. Yeah. Other well, Brad. it's not that he didn't believe us. It's that he, he wasn't. He thought we might. I, I suspect he thought we might have been overselling it. Uh, but we it, weren't. Yeah. It, uh, other Brad being Brad Ryder, who is uh, I think he's I think he's at Ace of Stardom on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he's a good follow. He's a knowledgeable guy. He is super, super knowledgeable about wrestling and especially like indie wrestling. Um, yeah, he, his, his brain melted from that. (laughs) Oh yeah. Cause it's an awesome match. It's like, again, I, I personally rate that as a five-star match. Is it like a Meltzer five-star match? Like, I don't know. But I don't give a shit. I'm know? saying it's a five star match. And again, we don't really like just throw out snowflakes on this show, but it's a five star match in the sense that it's like it is an absolutely awesome match that is such a spectacle and just stays with you. Like I, you know, you knock on wood, I'll be around another 40 something plus years of, of watching wrestling and everything like that. And, you know, I'll be in old folks home and be like, you know what, Andre. It's a damn good match. Let me watch that on whatever the hell is the equivalent. You're watching it. You're watching it. You're yelling at your grandkid. You're like, yeah, sit yeah. down and watch Andre Hansen with me. I, well, it just it, it just floors people because I think when we watched on the show, I told both you guys, I said, just be ready. This match is awesome. And you guys were like, oh, my God. Because you can never look at Andre the Giant the same mm-hmm. after that. No, you can't. Uh, well, that he, was 81, right, Brad? Yeah, because remember, it was right... It was right after he came back from the broken ankle because I think the Killer Con match that I actually like the Killer Con stretcher match is like a mu- like six weeks after it. Okay. So I mean, it, it was it, it's a really good match. Like it just I it, it's beyond words in some ways. Go back and watch that episode. I think it's like around episode 52 or so that we we reviewed that because I believe like gushing is the word mm-hmm. at the time. That that's even the the polite company word for what we were doing. Yeah. Uh I so I have I've shared my appreciation for Slaughter as we have become more familiar with him uh, through the road to Greensboro and the final conflict, obviously. Yeah. And, and but, at final conflict, he did the spot <laughs> off the top of the cage because slaughter is yeah. a madman. But we've reviewed a lot of slaughter. We reviewed like year, like at this point, a couple years back, but the slaughter Pat Patterson boot camp match. Uh, we've obviously done some 91 stuff. Got a good match uh, out of Warrior. Got a good match out of Warrior. There's only like a maybe a handful of guys that who I felt actually got a good match out of Warrior, with Slaughter being one of them. And the guy could bump. Uh, the, he was he was a good worker, like flat out good worker. I the Backland Cage match that I really like, but that might be because they had two feuds. That might be the that might be from the 70s. Let me let me look. Keep talking. Uh, all that said, I have such a, a love or affinity for for Hanson that I would I would choose Hanson. Oh, uh, you know what, Cornette? <laughs> Cornette explained his why he did the youth thing. By the way, 
Wasn't that part of a, a feud that he was doing? It was. He was doing that because he was storming into all Japan, and it was about he was telling the old guys to get the fuck out of his way because he was taking over. Okay. I, I, I thought I remembered something about it, but I couldn't put my finger on it. Man, this is really... Because I just went and looked, and Hansen worked New Japan 77 to 81, and then he worked All Japan 81 to 90. So Hansen's career was in the 80s was basically All Japan. And so he was okay. uh, teams with Brody, Gordy, DiBiase, Tenryu, Dan Spivey, Bobby Duncombe Jr., Big Van Vader, and it's even look. It's even on Wikipedia. Hanson engaged in a renowned brawl with Andre the Giant. Like, <sighs> oh, and I'm forgetting the the freaking tag with him and Brody against Race and Bockwinkle. That's just an absolute riot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I'm in this place where, and and you guys already mentioned it, but. You know, Slaughter being such a good bumper, too. And I was talking about that earlier. And I think what's remarkable that we talked about the time, too, to go along with that is when we watched him tagging with Kernodal, I always expect, like, Kernodal to take, like, the punishment. Mm -hmm. Slaughter was doing all the crazy bumps in those tags. He was so deceptively nimble. That he would bump so well, like he would bump so well that he, uh, you know, it it, it 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 shocked me the first time I saw it because, uh, you know, he's a big dude. He had a a very like solid standing kind of style, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. It's just that's how much it took me off guard. Like they should they should make students watch him bump Mm -hmm. even like lightweight should watch him bump Mm -hmm. and but it's stan hansen man i i've i'm mm. okay okay i'm breaking my rule but man i'm still i'm leaning in on hansen here Mm, there we go we do need to we do need to um add one thing to slaughter's column though I'm listening. There was that time in Cobra Law that he did beat the Nemesis Enforcer. (laughs) Oh, he did. Yeah, that uh, that always pushes. You know what? Now that I think about it. Oh God. (laughs) No, wait. But well, we're we're talking in ring stuff. I was gonna say Slaughter being in with the Joes, making him a competitor to Hogan as an over babyface. But we're focusing on the in ring for this, so I don't want to. You know, you know, Shad, you're going to leave only one of two ways on your feet like a man or in in a ditty bag, an itty bitty ditty bag. (laughs) Oh, my God, I am so torn on this. I'm telling you, I need I need a a, a G.I. Joe classified uh, toy series. I need uh, Slaughter's Renegades. (laughs) You know what, <laughs> I need, I need you know, those toys. I need to you know make what, those toys. You want to know a funny story? So um, Skybound got the G.I. Joe and Transformers licenses. 
He said the 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 two books they're doing comics the, license comics. Yeah. So they're yeah. doing a, a, a to start the new universe of GI Joe. They're doing a, a Duke book and a Cobra Commander book. So it's a shared universe now. So what they're doing in the Duke book is he saw Starscream on a flight, and so he's like the you the the army kind of kicked him out, and he's kind of was diving into this like UFO conspiracy theory stuff, and he stumbled into like a Cobra facility owned by Destro and Mercer like beat him up. Hmm. And I think he did something wrestling wise, but yeah, so Mercer was there, but yeah, so they're doing this thing where like Duke is like trying to get in with these conspiracy people because he saw Starscream and he like the, the, the army like won't or like know that it happened, but are trying to tell him like you, you, you cracked up up there. It's a really interesting. It's a really interesting book. I've only read the first issue, but I really liked it. God, I'm still chewing on this. I'm just gonna put Hanson. I it's 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 out of. I don't know if it's sentimentality or if it's just or what it is, but Hanson's I'm hard still to, leaning. Hanson's like there's just something about Stan Hanson like. If you, I, I will say this. And you know, the hell of it is this goes against two of my rules. Great bumpers and then people who were crazy stiff. And I don't like the crazy stiff, but man, I still can't he, get. You know, what's funny is I, I was reading this book where they kept asking people why um, Stan Hansen worked so stiff. And every response was, well, you know, he's blind as a bat, right? Yeah. Yeah. Can't see. Can't see anything without his glasses. Yeah. <laughs> So oh, he wasn't trying to intentionally uh, stiff the hell out of people. He just couldn't see where he was throwing those. <laughs> Unless hands. it was Vader in that one match, and then they just yeah. beat the shit and out of each other. That's a you. You guys have seen that, right? Yeah. Yes, because I about puked when I saw him pop his eye back in. I still always it, puked. It is brutal. Yeah, that's brutal. Well, and then they they didn't. It wasn't that match, but they revisited kind of. In WCW, as they had a brawl, like at the beginning of the match, Vader hit him so hard it knocked the chaw out of his mouth, and it's just scattered all over the ring. And it's only like seven minutes, but they they're just beating on each other the whole time to a no contest because they're like, we can't, no, just go get out of the ring, guys. We're we, no, just just go to the back. I love his explanation when someone asked him about running over the AWA world title. And he's like, oh, you know, it just fell out of my my truck. It was an accident. <laughs> well, was it his truck or his tractor? I Well, so Brad was going to meet him. And I'm like, you know, I and I really want to do this now. Like, I want to offer him like 50 bucks. like get an AWA title off of Etsy and like pay him 50 bucks to run it over. <laughs> Or just a picture of him standing on it. Yeah. <laughs> there's just there there's but see with Hanson though if, if um and some Fed pillar idiot would do this if you told me you don't like Stan Hanson I would question I would never listen to your opinion on anything wrestling related. It'd be like have you watched Stan Hansen? Yeah, it would be like someone saying they don't like Terry Funk. It'd be like, well, then you're an idiot, and I'm not going to listen to you anymore. It's like the only thing you saw of Terry. If you say that, then I have to believe the only thing you saw of Terry Funk was his around 2000s WWF run. Like that, I have to believe that's all you saw. Yeah. Um, 
I agree with that. Yeah. So are okay. we are we ready to go to yes. the next brutal one? This yes. Actually, get, get me away from this one. This one was heartbreaking. This one's actually not so hard. Um, it's hard on paper, but when you take time frames into account, it's a little okay. easier. So this is Harley Race versus Jerry Lawler. Um, so I'm going to say this. I think Harley Race's best work was in the 70s. And I would say um, Lawler's heyday was probably like the late 70s into the mid 80s. So my pick for this would be Jerry Lawler. Um, you know, we, and I mean, for stuff we've watched on the show that he did in the 80s, like the parking lot brawl with Eddie Gilbert was really good. Um, the Tupelo concession stand brawl is sadly in 79, so I can't justify that. But I mean, that's still... Here. Brad, I can put my thumb on the scale. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. In 1982, Jerry Lawler had his notorious feud with Andy Kaufman. Oh, and that's um, that's still like a revered moment, like talked about moment on the Letterman program mm-hmm. is him just smacking the crap out of him. Yeah. Which <laughs> Letterman finally admitted he was in on. Okay. After years that he knew that it was going to happen. <clears throat> We just we don't throw coffee on this show. That's not safe. Yeah. I mean, he's smack. I mean, if, if you <laughs> haven't seen the have clip, it. if you haven't seen the clip, he smacks the shit out of Kaufman. It is it is uh in in its complete form in the um, I'm from Hollywood documentary. And it, it's all in there. The the Letterman show because I think he got most of the rights or something. But if you go to the Letterman show YouTube, they have the whole segment on there. Ah. Okay. And also, I, it's also one of my favorite stories. They did like this angle on the Monday show in the Mid South Coliseum, and um, he does the thing where he pile drives Kaufman, I think, to break his neck. You know, and he does mm-hmm. the whole thing, and he's mm-hmm. laying there, and he, you know the ref's talking to him. And the ref comes over to Lawler, and he's like, he wants you to call an ambulance. And Lars like, I'm not doing that. That's like 250 bucks. It's Jarrett like, instead of Lawler. Maybe it. it, it the, the, the idea is, so he wanted them to do an ambulance on the spot. And like, we can't do that. That's expensive. So the mm-hmm. referee goes back and talks to him. He's like, he says he'll pay for it. <laughs> and didn't he stay in the hospital for like two days not telling them? Yeah, I think so. So when I was in, uh, when I was in college and still kind of, I'm going to say naive in my fandom. It was not widespread or well-traveled yet. Um, some friends, well-meaning friends for Christmas one year, gave me a VHS copy of a compilation show or of a compilation, The Undertaker, He Buries Them Alive. And it was it was a series of very early Undertaker matches where he's still kind of refining the gimmick and mm-hmm. stuff like that. <clears throat> what I'm driving at is not a great selection. There's a match on there with Lawler. And what Lawler does for most of the match is the hide the foreign object spot. And at the time watching it, I'm irritated. I'm like, get in there and do stuff. Come on, man, go work. And it took me growing up a little bit to realize how good Jerry Lawler is to get a whole crowd livid at him for pretending to have something in his hand. 
that's funny. Yeah, because he didn't have a foreign object. He, he was, just acted like it. He was doing the hide the chain spot, but there's no yeah. chain. Yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. There's no chain. And yet he does this in a match. Just basically, he's supposed to have a match with the Undertaker where he's going to take the tombstone. And he does this so he basically doesn't have to do anything except choke slam Tombstone for the entire match. And can we talk about why Jerry Lawler is a national hero that should be um, regarded as such? Because he listening. fireballed Joey Ryan in the dick. <laughs> now, the you, difficult part here is the allegations on Lawler, but, you know. I mean, I there's a little, there, there seems to be... I don't know. They found some stuff more recently. I, I don't know what I think about that stuff. I would say I wouldn't be shocked. I uh, I just I'm just saying I don't know. But then on the other hand, I, I'm also not going to pick on him too hard, given, you know, his son. Well, his son. And then after he had that stroke, um, he's not doing super well, I think. What is it? Is he like got facial aphasia now or something like that? Yeah. I mean, I met him the March before that happened. And I had a, um, yeah, he had, he had a stroke in 2023. He had a stroke in 2018 and then he had one in 2023. <clears throat> I met him mm, 2022, I think. Maybe it was when he had that stroke in 2023. He had the heart was, attack on Raw, too, remember? He did, yeah. I met him in 2022, I think. And I just, I walked up and, you know, told him how much I appreciate his work. I used to be an indie guy. I appreciated just how smart he was and how I'd wish I'd been half as smart as he was and how he did things. And he said he had some very kind things to say. He was very happy to talk with me. He was also very happy that I had kind of pushed it along because the guy in front of me was not taking the, Hey brother, there's, there's other people waiting here. Hint, you know? And so I told him, I said, you know, I don't want to take up a lot of your time. I know you got people waiting. I just want to tell you, he was very kind, very appreciative. Um, you know, I didn't get to talk shop with him long, but it was, it was a great experience. And who was he up against? <laughs> oh, um, Harley race. And oh, I, I forgot the other thing, though. The one thing people might not know about Jerry Lawler, and I've seen a lot of it, is he is an amazing artist. He is. He is. Yeah, he's he's really good. I and he's he's, a, he's like the biggest nerd, too. Yeah. So I I I will agree with you based on time frame that that Lawler was better in the 80s and just leave it at that. Yeah, and I mean, I I mean Harley Race is fun. I've, Matt did a good impression of him once. <laughs> Harley, uh, I I just I I told uh, when he died, or some point later, I told this whole story about like uh, was it Brian? I think it was Brian Breaker who actually trained with them. Is that the where they whole, put okay. the gross jelly beans in there? Yeah, the, the rib where like they they did like the because you can get jelly. I don't know if it's Jelly Belly brand, but it, maybe it was like the Harry Potter ones. Oh yeah, but it's like you can get like awful flavors, like mm-hmm. this is the flavor of like vomit, it's the flavor of like uh, you know boogers, yes, yeah. boogers, something like that. 
and Harley would just be like, I guess he had a sweet tooth. He would just eat it by the handful. And they they started off being like, oh, he's going to eat the nasty ones. He's going to eat it. Let's see what his reaction. He just kept eating it. Just like eating it with like, no reaction. <laughs> he just no salt, like sold it. And they became like slightly like horrified or miffed by it. So they were like, Harley, you know, those have been like, those are like the disgusting ones. Like we were trying to rib you. And he just like paused and it's like, well, I like them. It's <laughs> just like continues no selling it. Um, hey, who was uh, that? Was that Owen? He threatened with a stun gun because he fucked yeah. with his chili or something. Yeah, Dustin Rhodes told that story on the Raw as Owen that uh, he went after Owen with the taser because of it. Wasn't the story that, like in the eighties, I think it was the eighties, like uh, Harley had his own like small promotion and Vince McMahon basically bankrupted him. It's like he was going to travel to like a local, like WWE was coming to WWF at that time. was coming to his area. So he was going to like travel there with a gun and kill this band. Probably. That sounds like something Harley Race would do. Would have, would have uh, probably, probably saved a lot of trauma to people. And actions. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Um, I'm kind of with you guys. Uh, I haven't seen enough Harley Race. Oh, what, remember I, what I have seen, I have a lot of respect for Harley Race, but I would agree that Harley's heyday was pretty much pre-80s. Like, he still worked in the 80s and still had some good stuff in the 80s, but... The, the bounce the promos we watched where he has, like, the belt yeah. and, like, the big suitcase of money. He's like, come on, someone, like, take the money. Yeah. Uh, but I do feel the 80s were more Lawler's era. Mm-hmm. Um and he is a guy who I also haven't seen enough of. But what I have, I have I've seen more of Lawler than I probably have seen of Race. And I have a Lawler. Big, I have a big um, three Blu-ray <laughs> discs that someone on this show happened to get me for Christmas. <laughs> that I oh, I forgot. Much. Yeah. Uh, actually, I think did I? Buy, I think I may have bought that for myself too. <laughs> so I need to watch that. Uh, Lawler is I say this is some as a guy i have not even appreciated because like when i first time i saw him he was doing like a chicken shit heel thing mm-hmm. and maybe it was like the early 90s wwf exposure so the, like, the feud with doink or something yeah so it's like him being chicken shit it's like whatever this guy but i didn't see like his other stuff so when i actually did see some of it i'm like oh actually he's super good he's like a mm-hmm. good worker great talker Mm-hmm. And can just hold the, the the crowd like the palm of his hand, like to get a reaction. So I I'll choose Lawler for this. Um, I always liked um, um, how he him and Jr. always had each other's backs as commentators, mm-hmm. and he'd always yeah. stick up for him. And I liked the the match he had with Taz, where Taz was choking him out, and like Jr. just grabbed like that jar of candy and smashed it over Taz Taz's head. Yeah, the um, one of the things to 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 go to how good Lawler was that is I've heard remarked on by various people was that Lawler, you could tell the expression on Lawler's face from behind in the back of the arena. His physical expression was so good that you knew what the look on his face was, even if you couldn't see it, you know, from half the building away. And that is 
such an amazing skill just in general yeah but for a wrestler it's it i mean you know it's perfect and um i like to drop the strap as like a a hulk up too mm -hmm. so thing has has the best hulk up in my opinion (laughs) yeah well i mean you know, you're talking some sting marks. You're going to get us yeah. to agree to pretty yeah, easy for that. Okay, so you ready for the last one? I'm listening. This, this has my could take the whole thing for the 80s. So this is Ted DiBiase for Hacksaw, versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Um, so in the last episode, we watched, to give both of them their due, we watched, they had a tape fist match in Mid-South. Um, and it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, it'll change your opinion of Duggan. Like, they, it's a no DQ. Like, so they start out and, like, DBS is like, this is no DQ, right? And they're like, yeah. And he just takes powder out of his pants before the match even starts and blinds Duggan. Mm-hmm. And then there's, like, there's the, that Brad Armstrong um, arena match we watched that was just awesome. Yep. Um, I'm trying to think of what else did we watch that he's done what um because there was a compilation of some dbi no it was that brad armstrong thing okay yeah i'm trying to remember because i think there was something else but i can't put my finger on what it is again ah crap i was gonna say that's 79 but remember is it's actually one of my favorite like old wwf matches the the pat patterson match he had for the with for the north american title uh, I'm working on it. I'm having a hard it's time like pulling that one. Seventy-nine, where like Patterson, like he kind of just takes Patterson post to post, and then Patterson beats him at the end, and it really like puts him over as a so, young up and comer. One thing I do remember, um, and I remember this specifically from DiBiase's uh, DiBiase's shoot interview, was DiBiase was the guy that made Hogan in the WWF. It was Hogan's big debut show in the garden and Hogan came to him. He's like, man, you got to help me. We, this, this is my make or break. And DiBiase said, I'm going to fly for you, brother. And he did. And it made Hulk Hogan like the cell job. DiBiase did make, made Hulk Hogan. Uh, I, I shared before DiBiase is a guy that, Really, I felt should have. It didn't work out because that wasn't the style of promotion that the WWF back in the day was. Um, but he's the guy who should have held the world title. Mm-hmm. And I know, it, however you wanted to find it, like he he, he storyline held it for like a time because he bought it off he, Andre. But yeah. I don't I don't count that. I don't think people really he count that. Like supposedly in the wings <laughs> for the NWA title at some point. I could believe that given like the the heat he had, but I I definitely felt like because he was like the main heel, I felt he could have won the world title because they were such a babyface heavy promotion and and were for like years and years and years. Like I felt if he if he ever had won it, it would have been transitional. But he was so good. Like I felt he he carried the role of main heel uh, for like two, three years, which back in the day, like that's, that's a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, like if you're like the main, I mean, obviously if you're the main, uh, I mean, 
stupid Roman Reigns has been champion for like like four years or something. I don't know. It feels like it as a heel. Uh, and it's been a long time. But it's also <laughs> See, like, this is the Titanic meme. It's been 85 years. Yeah, seriously, it's been forever. Like, I've, I've lost count. But, uh, yeah, DiBiase, like, just, I felt, was, like, the main heel for a long time. And he owned it. Like, he was believable. Supposedly, if I remember <laughs> the story right, supposedly, and DiBiase was supposed to win the WWF heavyweight title and Savage was supposed to win the intercontinental, but honky didn't want to drop it to Savage. So they changed it to Savage winning the world title. Well, they also, um, so when Andre gave him the belt Mm -hmm. that, so he did some house shows as the, the world champion. Okay. Before they settled it. So that was kind of like a pilot run to see how it would do, and it like those shows didn't do well, so they also changed ah, the um, okay. the plans. So it, it's I agree with you, Matt, that that he should have. Um, Wait, can I ask you a question, Shad? Because that was yeah. always your big curiosity. So. If if you haven't listened to that episode, it's way long, a couple years ago. But Shad had said he was always curious to see how the loaded glove worked. Yeah. And DiBiase did that. Oh, okay. So, so now that you've seen him do it a couple times, what do you think of that whole gimmick? Okay. Now now that I've seen how he does it, because my concern was, okay, this was pretty far back, and so to to set the stage for it, my concern was that. Loading the glove seems like it would be too small of a movement for an arena. Like everything on on Raw now, for example, is if the heel's going to do something sneaky, they hide it. The For some weird reason, the example that really springs to mind for me, this is such a weird, weird thing to be an example, but it's what <laughs> pops up in my brain, was from towards the end of WCW. It was... Um, Mike Sanders doing a match against the Young Dragons, and he would he would burn the gloves with alcohol. He had boxing gloves on, so he kept burning the gloves with alcohol to take them out. But he's hiding it so much that the, the live crowd, like the folks at home saw it because they stuck the camera right into it, but the live crowd didn't know what he was doing. And so they, they didn't know what the hell was going on because it was too small. So my concern was... How is how is DiBiase loading this glove in a way that is visual to piss the crowd off? And then once I saw him do it, which if you I'm don't like, know, he ah. does this big like behind the referee's back. Usually someone slips it to him, and he does this big exaggerated putting the glove on. Well, he's got the glove on. He's on his knees, and he holds his hand directly down in front of him, and he takes this thing and slides it into the palm. Yeah. And it's it is the the way he frames his shoulders and holds his hand out and then does it makes it all very clear and I like that and I it's did big. it's big the way he does yeah it. I did the inverse of it once because in my first gimmick I used to wear um, MMA gloves as part of my gimmick right and one night I socked somebody and they dropped like a rock and I reached into it and in my palm I had taken like a a dog collar chain and like shoved it into the inside of the glove. And I pulled it out link by link 
and then just dropped it. You know, I did the inverse of it before knowing how DiBiase did that. And it's it is expressive in the right way, in the big way that gets everybody's attention and lets them know what's going on. Um, there's no question. Hey, you know, sneaky heel is cheating now and you know what he's doing. And it's it's all very clear. I know so you, I know you ripped the gimmick off and Eddie Gilbert did it once. And I thought it was hilarious where the ref kept finding more weapons on him. <laughs> That was my first match under my own name. I used to have video of it, and I can't find it anymore. But yes, my first gimmick, I had BDU pants, and I had stuff tucked in, like my gloves and behind my belt and everything. And this guy came out with like this big heaping handful of stuff. And uh, oh, oh, God, they hated me so much. I I imagine if that was LaParca, they'd be like, give it up. And he pull like he reaches down his boot and pulls out a pistol and kisses it and gives it to the ref and they're like okay the other one and he's like god damn it he pulls the pistol out of his other or he pulls out like the the Jack Nicholson Joker like the the gun that's like <laughs> the big long yeah. barrel one yeah so just just to give you insight on how much of a mega nerd I am it was not ripping off someone who had done it in wrestling before the thing that sparked the idea for me was I was on my, I don't know how many at the time reread of the wheel of time. And there's a, there's a section where Matt Cawthon is getting ready to go somewhere and like, you can't take weapons with you. And he starts pulling daggers out of his coat and up his sleeves and out of his boot tops. And they're like, okay, you can. And then he stops and he goes, wait a second. And he reaches down the back of his coat and pulls a dagger from like hanging down the back of his coat and drops it. And he goes, I think that's all of them. And he's standing in front of like this warrior society, desert people. And they're looking at the, looking at the pile and looking at him and looking at the pile and looking at him. And he's like, it's the only time I've seen them impressed looking at me. (laughs) It's such, such a nerd thing, but that's, that's what sparked the idea for me anyway. Um, yeah, Eddie God, Gilbert have done that. I, I imagine more have done that because I mean yeah. that that has to be such like a heel. Oh yeah, it's so good because it's just like I was planning on coming into this cheating. I was going to be a tremendous dick to you if if you know I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for that pesky ref kind well, of stuff. And I think it's good, like especially because like it also kind of show it kind of shows as a heel that you aren't. <laughs> confident in your abilities to beat someone without cheating that you brought all this like stuff either you're not confident in your abilities or you just wanted to do it to be a dick yeah either one works it just it just makes the crowd hate you so much yeah so we've been going for a good while so we're gonna come back next week i think with the quarterfinals semifinals and final so yeah. our our matches for next week, so you know, for the quarterfinals are Ric Flair versus Kurt Henning, Randy Savage versus Terry Funk, Ricky Steamboat versus Stan Hansen, and Jerry Lawler versus Ted DiBiase. Oh my God! Oh! <laughs> yeah, that's a that is a rough slate of matches. It is. It is. So, okay. All right. We're gonna. I'm gonna need to. Uh, I'm going to need some heart pills or something <laughs> for that one. Um, <laughs> all right. So um, 
anyway, we'll be looking forward to that. We would love to hear from you on social media. Do you think that we were that we were right or we were off base? Um, please hit us up and let us know. <clears throat> uh, you know, hit us up on social media. Let us know. Uh, we're still game for for doing requests. Um, we get them in. So, all of that being said, uh, this is Shad with Matt and Brad. We've been in three corners, you're in the fourth, and we'll see you next time.